Let's talk food. Welcome to Travel Mouth. This is your host, Jeff Ehrman. I'm joined today by my food friend, Dev, aka Miss Lupulin. Dev, how you doing? I'm doing well out here in the like spring winter that exists in Colorado these days. Yeah. Yeah. You're right in that kind of in-between phase where you get a nice day just to kind of tease you a little. And then what did you say was coming tomorrow? Uh, 10 to 20 inches where I live of of snow. That's Um, unfathomable. (laughs) 20 inches. Oh my. If it melts fast, that means good mushroom hunting. And I'm hoping to get out and get some wild asparagus and you know, do all the, I love foraging. So waiting for that this spring, for sure. Check you out looking on the the brighter side of it. I like that. You're like, <laughs> you're like yeah, mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining being snowed in for a couple of days. Cause uh, yeah, that's a lot of snow. It's a lot of snow, heavy snow. So I wanted to kind of start things off by talking about uh, this food combination that you talked about in your questionnaire. And I, I, again, like you're not the first person that's put something in this answer where I'm just like, I have to try that. That sounds fantastic. But this one, this is kind of in that like breakfast foods realm. And I love innovation in the breakfast food uh, area. So tell me about jalapeno cheese bread, French toast. How did that even come up or where did you have that? Oh my gosh. There is this wonderful little breakfast place in Idaho Springs, Colorado. So Idaho Springs is West and I 70 from Denver on the way up to like summit County. And, um, it's called main street restaurant. Um, they, when they have the staff, they bake their own bread, but if they're not able to, Mm -hmm. they hire a local bakery to bake it for them. So it's all really beautiful, fresh bread. And I love French toast, but I don't love sweet things. And I know that seems a bit like an oxymoron, but a really good French toast should be walk that line between sweet and savory. Just so beautifully. Definitely. Definitely. And, um, I was looking at their menu and I saw that you can get their French toast with their jalapeno cheddar bread, their house made jalapeno cheddar bread. And I'm like, well, heck yeah, <laughs> let's try this out. And I ordered so, it. So mixed it, into the dough is, is cheddar and jalapenos like actually uh-huh. baked into the bread. Okay, cool. Just yep. making sure I understood this preparation here. Yeah. So they bake the jalapenos cheddar in and then um, they put their, their batter in their batter. What I like about it is it's not overly sweet. It's also not over overly cinnamony or nutmeggy or any of the the spices it just kind of lets um lets the bread speak but you know gets that nice you know bread pudding sort of texture on the bread um they they flat top it so beautifully so it gets all that nice crust on it and just the combination i i put probably um an illegal amount of of butter on it um (laughs) the butter and then and then the maple syrup with that, you know, that crust and the cheese and the jalapenos and you get the sweet and the savory and the melanoidins from the, from the grill. And then, you know, some creaminess and the spice, and it's just such a beautiful combination. That's how I like my sweets too, is so much else going on than just sweet. I feel like it's when it's just one note and that note is just sugar. It's like, eh, not that into it, but yeah, add some spice, add some savoriness, add some, yeah. Egg. Like, wow, that would just be fantastic. That sounds so good. It's so good. And I always get a couple over medium eggs and some bacon because, you know, I got to get a little bit of fat in there. And yeah. man, I, I love me an over medium egg, the way the yolk makes an, its own sauce and just. Ugh. So have you tried recreating this at home? Have you messed around with buying like a jalapeno cheese loaf? Because, of course, I'm not going to make it out there. And I'm, I'm wondering, at least not anytime <laughs> too soon. I'm wondering if I can pull this off at home. Oh, I think it's totally possible. I think the biggest okay. thing will be, um, and, and this is true of any French toast, using stale bread. And the reason for the stale yeah. bread is lacking that moisture. It sucks up the moisture from the batter. Yep. So lovely. And um, one thing a lot of people don't do with their French toast, which is really necessary, is making sure it's sitting in that batter long enough to soak to the middle. Yes, I've noticed that too. They get hurried and they just barely let it soak in or barely at all. It's just like in that outer, you know, crust only. And I I like it the same because then you don't get that bread pudding thing you were talking about before unless you really do soak it in. Exactly. It needs that. It needs that inner inner creaminess to it. And that's why most really beautiful French toast recipes you're finding are going to tell you, you know, you're going to griddle it, but then you need to put it in the oven for a couple of minutes to cook through to the middle. That's the secret. And that's how you get that really crispy French toast too, because it's not, yes. it's not wet out of the pan still. You actually get the outside crisp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. The, the, the finishing in the oven is the true trick. I agree. It's it, it makes such a difference. And like, 
They, um, my other two favorite French toasts are one at Absolute Bakery down in Mancos, Colorado. They make their own bread as well. And it is just, and, and, it, and for them, it's just plain white bread, French mm-hmm. toast. But it's just, again, they get that creamy center and it's a very, very thick cut, which That's often, part of it too. Yep. Yes. That's what I was just about to say is if you don't bake your own bread, then you're at the mercy of whoever's slicing it for you often. And if you do bake your own bread, you can cut that sucker super fat and then get that nice creamy interior. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And um, well, I like how you know all the secrets to this uh, item that you like. You're like, it's no, no, so I've, I've thought about it. No, it's got to go into the oven to finish. It's got to be a thick cut slice. It's got to be day old. It's got to soak long enough. That's that's true. Like process evaluation. I appreciate that. <laughs> Well, it's just making sure that like, you know, if, if I'm going to consume the calories and spend the money, I want the best thing. Yeah. And so like, I'm very I'm well aware you. of, yeah, what it takes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's, that's me on food. I, I figure out something I like, and then it's like every angle of why it's right. I mean, of course I'm crazy about burgers right now. And right. so much of the burger making is process, process, process. Of course you get good ingredients, but you know, toasting that bun right, getting that that Maillard on the burger just right, um, serving it not hot and cold with, you know, cold condiments that cool it down or, you know, whatever it is, like I, every little decision that you make makes a difference. And I think that's kind of cool that you've taken the time to figure out to uh, decode French toast so well. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I know. bet you make good French toast. I bet you do just because you know so much. That's well, cool. and I love making French toast. Like when we go to the mountains with friends, yeah, stay yeah. at a cabin or something, because it's a really easy dish to make for a large group of people. Yep. So. Yep. So uh, another thing you mentioned uh, when, when I asked about food destinations was so many places that like, it's funny. Cause like your list is not too different from my list. <laughs> when you mentioned, you're like, you just rattled them off like Japan, Vietnam, Vietnam, Thailand, Argentina, Mexico city, Maine for lobster. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Good oh choices. Those are like, that would be quite a tour. If somebody offered some like multinational, you know, bounce around the world food, ultimate food adventure or something like that sounds like some sweepstakes, but I would love to win that. I would love to win that. Absolutely. I would. Oh my gosh. I would just, I would quit my job and just be like, bye, (laughs) go my way around the world. So let's, let's start in Japan. Uh, cause Ugh. man, that is, that has got to be number one on my list right now. I, I have a friend who's been many times and he keeps saying, we're going in November. We're going in November. I'm like, all right. Uh, okay. I got to figure that out. Uh, let's go in November. Um, so I hope <laughs> I do get to go soon. Um, but you mentioned doing an omakase there. And I think that would be the dream. Um, what is that one? Uh, Euro dreams of sushi. Have you ever watched that? Oh, yes. Okay. That yep. whole documentary where he does the, his omakase is just incredible it's incredible and And just to give yourself over to a chef and trust them to give you the absolute best and to just be willing to especially in a place where you don't necessarily speak the language or read the language um just be like all right i'm just going to enjoy and i'm going to allow myself to go on a sensory adventure um i think there's a lot of trust that goes into that decision but also there's a lot of courage from the side of the chef to to be like all right this is what i'm offering you and i'm putting i'm bearing myself for you this is my tasting menu that i am preparing for you and it's a very personal thing yeah they they can't hide behind the customer made a bad choice you know they 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 have to kind of go with uh standing behind what they serve and I, I guess the part I like about it too is that you're kind of putting your ego in check when you order, when you say omakase, because you're saying to the chef, like, look, dude, you know more than I do. You know what's fresh. You're the one that, you know, handles the fish all, all the time. And I I kind of wish there were more professions that were treated that way, that were, you know, omakase <laughs> professions where you just kind of trust them. And I, I tend to do it, I find, even when I go to breweries, um, especially if I if I'm uh, dealing directly with one of the brewers, I'll just say, what are you drinking right now? What's your favorite right now? And that's kind of my version of a omakase order, because I really do like I feel like. Starting at that place of trust of like, look, you have more insight on your product than I do is it's going to land you in a better place ultimately, because they're going to, you know, maybe they're, oh, you know what? Uh, It's not really on tap right now, but let me go pour you one off the fermenter or whatever it is. (laughs) <laughs> and, and you get this, you get this special and same thing, you know, omakase with, 
with a good Japanese uh, chef, uh, sushi chef, you're going to end up with some probably product that wasn't on the menu, probably something that they was holding back, you know, until somebody really kind of put their trust in them. And so I absolutely agree with you on that. Yeah, I like going into breweries and just saying, hey, what's pouring well right now? What's drinking well, you know? Yeah. Like, what are you particularly enjoying right now? Because I don't care what sells best. That doesn't, that's not a consideration of mine. I want to know what the people who make the beer and who who are pouring the beer, what are they loving right right then and there? I want to know, like, what's getting them excited? What are, like, especially so much of the time in in the beer world, you, you spend... Telling people, yes, we have this hazy IPA or we don't have hazy IPAs or like very the same questions over and over and over. And so to be able to say to someone, I, I drink literally everything. What is your favorite? Yeah. That's what I try to do. And then if they're not helping on that tip, then I just look for the weirdest thing on the menu. I'm like, okay, a smoked, (laughs) a smoked oat, uh, stout. Uh, Okay. Let's try that. I've never had a smoked oat stout. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Let's try this uh, abomination. The, yeah, the, uh, absolutely. Milkshake, sour, seltzer. No, maybe not that. Pastry, stout. <laughs> well, that's the thing is sometimes when I ask for that guidance, that's where they're, they're like, well, I really like the seltzers. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, So I'll have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and not go with that suggestion. But generally, if you're talking to somebody who actually likes beer, it's fun to even kind of put that to them of like, no, I don't care what's popular. I don't care what your number one seller is. I want to know what, you know, your favorite is. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, it's an English mild. Nobody really orders it. And you're like, oh, I will have that right now. Bring me that English mild. A hundred percent. Well, and I also like, I mean, I find that at, um, I go to a couple of distilleries. One of them is Bear Creek in Denver. And like being able to say, hey, I'm really in the mood for a savory drink today, but nothing's really hitting me on the menu. Can you just make me something? Yep. I like that. That's the same exact concept of like, I trust you. You know what you have to work with. You're going to come up with something better than I could try to piece together. And then you're like, Ugh, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to make this. Well, And that's the thing is you're kind of getting them behind the order too. They're like, oh, this will be fun. I get to do something that's not, you know, make the same Moscow mule that I made 20 times in a row. Yeah. And, and, and especially places that like make their own bitters and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know that you know, what kind of fun thing they've been playing with and just really want to test out and haven't had the opportunity because no one's, you know, been brave enough to try it. And maybe that's what you say is like, look, I'm your guinea pig, you know, go, go crazy, have fun. (laughs) Let's do this. Bring me something fun and give them a chance to really perform, to really kind of step outside. I like that. Absolutely. So you also mentioned uh, Vietnam street food and, you know, each one of these, when you said it, I like, I go to an episode of either like Bourdain or, or some, some documentary I've watched. And of course that makes me think about that lady who serves uh, soup seven days a week. Do you know about her? The lunch lady? No. So her whole thing is she does a different soup every day, seven days a week. And it's, you know, it's Vietnam prices. So it's like probably three bucks or something. And Tony would just go there and sit um, in a, on a little tiny plastic chair and eat her soups. And so she got super famous from that episode. And now, and I haven't been there yet, but now they have a location called Lunch Lady in Vancouver. That's oh. a, a, a version of her restaurant in Vancouver, British Columbia, unfortunately, not Vancouver, Washington, but just <laughs> north of the border. So about, gosh, that would probably take me about an hour and a half to get there, maybe maybe two hours total. Oh, man, that I would like, honestly, my Vietnam, my Vietnam thing comes from, yeah. from Anthony Bourdain, like just his, me too, <laughs> uh, everything about him going to the country. But yeah. it also, I grew up going to a restaurant in Denver called new Saigon, um, which is a fairly famous Vietnamese restaurant here. Their, their menu is a novel. Um, some things in there are not, there's no English translation, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, fell in love with eating some really very authentic, Vietnamese Vietnamese food and it's it's really fun to go in and and order you know what you like but also just be like all right I'm gonna try whatever this is yeah that's that's a good way to go and I love exploring Vietnamese cuisine and I I don't know why but I also found really good Vietnamese food in the Denver area I don't know if there was like a a mass immigration maybe a couple decades ago or or something but I've found some awesome pho and just amazing noodle salads and stuff and uh where was that? Where was I? Up at a place called Golden Bowl in, 
think they closed down. They were they were in Golden originally, and they had a second location that was up in Broomfield, I believe. And I don't okay. know if it's still going or not, but their pho broth was just one of my favorites. I, mm-hmm. I think everybody kind of has like a different thing they're looking for in pho broth. People want it spicier. They want it sweeter. They want it, you know, different, different things. And I liked how well they balanced everything in theirs. And it was, I sent a lot of people there and everyone agreed that I sent there that it was one of the best. Um, but yeah, I, it always amazed me. I could find such good Vietnamese food in the Denver area. And I'm not sure why we have such a big Vietnamese population, Yeah, um, but I've noticed it too, which is great. Yeah, it's it's definitely, it definitely helps the city. I I would agree. (laughs) Yeah, we we need all the diversity we can get and just, yeah. Thailand, you said as well for noodles. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely when you're there in Vietnam, it would be a travesty not to to bounce next door and and get some boat noodles in Thailand. Well, in Thailand, uh, my my sister and her husband met there. Oh, Um, so there. How did they meet there? (laughs) Um, So my sister uh, was teaching English in Taiwan. Um, She was 24, I think, 23, 24. And her friend Beth came over. To and they decided to go on a trip to Thailand, mm-hmm. and they were there the first night, and um, we're hanging out at the pub as as people I'm related to tend to do, <laughs> and um, there was this this tall Irish gentleman, and he had just gone on the tour they were about to take, and he was telling them all about it. They hung out until the wee hours in the morning, went to bed, got up, go to take their tour, and there he is again. And he said, "You know, I had such a fun time last night. I just figured I'd, you know, take the tour again." And, um, ended up hanging out with, with Jess and Beth the entire time. And, um, one of my favorite photos ever is, is my sister and Jason, um, on a waterfall in Thailand. And they're both just cracking up. They're laughing so hard. And it's the happiest I had ever seen my sister. Awesome. And and so, um, yeah, so an, an American and an Irishman met in, in Thailand, they they live several different places around the world. They now live in Beacon, New York, with their little, not their not so little daughters anymore. Um, but their youngest, her name is Anya Siam. Um, wow. To to honor to honor Thailand, where they met. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so neat because I think sometimes travel can even be a filter for like the the right kind of person. So when you're like out traveling and you find someone else that's also out traveling, it's like, all right, well, you know, you've made it this far. Like, let's let's share a <laughs> bottle or something. Let's get to know each other because there's some commonality there already. You know, you're an adventurer, too, especially if you're in a country like that. You're showing that you've got that, you know, kind of uh, wanderlust, that adventurous side. I think that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. And, and you so, know, they good for her for finding her Irishman in, in, in yeah. the <laughs> I, I always great. tell people, I'm like, they met in Thailand. And they're like, oh, is, is, is he Thai? Nope. <laughs> so talking about all these soups, I kind of want to hear about the soup you make. Um, you mentioned your soup, your tortillas, your queso, the things you like to make. And, and what is the soup that you make that you really enjoy making? Um, actually, back to Asia. Um, yeah, yeah. I make please. hot and sour soup. Um, so, I mean, it's Asian American for sure, but it's based off of a recipe that my mom made that she cut out of the newspaper back in the That's how it happened back in the day. Yeah. We couldn't go to (laughs) allrecipes.com. I like that. It's awesome. And, and, uh, she, so she made it a certain way and I learned Mm -hmm. how to make it. And then, um, as you know, I took it on, I started to tweak it. And one of the biggest tweaks I did was I, get as many ingredients as I can from the Asian grocery store. Nice. So, um, instant upgrade, (laughs) bit of an upgrade. And I also, um, I go much heavier on the mushrooms than she did because I just, I love shiitake mushrooms so much. So So I use fresh and dry. Um, so yeah, that's beautiful. See, that's, that's the kind of hot and sour soup I would order. Like if I saw one and it just had mushrooms floating like crazy in it, I'd be like, yeah, give me that. I want that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's mushrooms. Uh, well, I use shiitake, fresh and dry. I use wood mm-hmm. ear mushrooms. Love wood ear. Um, extra firm tofu. Um, nice. Depending on my mood, I'll add ham. It just depends. My mom would either add ham or mm-hmm. like pork tenderloin. I find the hams just, um, I like what happens when it boils for as long as it does. It gets this interesting texture. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's got 
depending on my mood again, it's like bamboo shoots, water chestnuts. Um, I was wondering, that was my question. I actually had it written down bamboo shoots, question mark. (laughs) If you don't get to that, I was going to be like, does it have bamboo shoots? (laughs) Nice. Absolutely. And, and egg and, um, you know, it's just, uh, the, the biggest thing about my hot and sour soup that differentiates it from others out there is that the primary spice in it is black pepper. Ah, okay. And it is an ungodly amount of black pepper. Interesting. And it gets spicy, spicy. So the hot and sour I make, I can make it for that evening, but it's so much better. Like most soups the next day. The next day. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything just melds. It needs that moment. And I, mm-hmm. I've i learned to kind of do stuff that way more. I'll, of course, I'll eat a little bit. It's not like you're not going to touch it the day one. <laughs> But if you can, yeah, if you can put it away, it's like, okay, we'll just have this tomorrow. But, oh, it's so much better the next day. I completely agree. So much better. And and just, I love, um, I in the before times, if you will, um, yeah. as part of a, a soup club, a soup swap with several other people. And I brought the hot and sour soup one time. And it was just so much fun to make a huge amount to share with friends. Yeah. Man, I want to be in a soup swap. That <laughs> sounds too much fun. That's oh, right up my great. alley. Yeah, you get like you get together with like, I don't know, five, six other people and everyone brings enough soup so that everybody gets a quart of yeah. each soup. And so, um, you oh, know, wow, that's so great. So it happens all at once. So everybody yeah. goes home with like several They, You know, you show up with seven quarts of soup. You go home with seven quarts of soup. Uh-huh. It's just that it's seven different quarts. Yep. I love that. Yeah, that's okay. I got to join one of those. <laughs> it's such a, <laughs> it's such a list. fun way to do it too. Like, especially in the winter when, and you can, I mean, I put a lot of them in the freezer and then yeah. like, oh man, I don't want to cook, but I want something really good. Oh, I've got soup. That's why I love soup. Oh. Yeah. It's so easy. So easy. So Steam easy. some rice, bowl of soup. Good to go. And so complex. Like you can do so, I mean, from the very, very basic, you know, whatever chicken noodle soup to just something really complex and and layered. Um, I made my, my only time I've ever made ramen from scratch. I made my own dashi. I made everything. Um, but instead of using ramen noodles, I used, uh, zucchini noodles that I made myself. Nice. And it was such a cool, like the texture. Cause I was, I kept saying like, when I made zucchini noodles for other things, I was like, man, the texture reminds me of firm ramen. And so when I made it, it just oh, so freaking good. But it took three days to make the broth. Yeah, yeah. to do it right. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I got now I want to try that, too. I, I could totally <laughs> see how zucchini noodles would work really well. So you, you didn't do any other noodle. It was just the zucchini noodle as the noodle, right? Just the zucchini noodle. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that sounds good. I would, I would definitely go for that. There's a place in... Um, Tacoma, not too far, um, that's called Infinite Soups. And their whole thing is to serve like something like 17 soups a day. Wow. And yeah, and that's all they do is soup. And so you go in there and if they, you know, you want to try one, they'll pour a little in a, in a plastic ramekin and let you try it. But then it's just, uh, it's soup and a piece of bread and that's it. That's and it awesome. Fantastic. And it's a, it's a couple doing it. I guess they have a, a couple locations now too, but I just love that concept. I didn't know if, you know, that would fly, but I guess they've been doing it now for nearly 20 years. So that's when we first moved up here to Evergreen, we had a place called DeKind Soups and um, they were the same thing. They would do like, I think eight to 10 soups a day. Yeah. Constantly rotating. You could go in, get soup and, you know, some bread and butter. And they were part of the reason we moved up here. Actually, um, we loved them so much. And then they decided to shutter their brick and mortar. And, and now they do soups. They do boil in a bag soups that you can buy at like natural grocers and stuff, which oh, is great. I'm so happy okay. that they found their niche. I just, I miss them. <laughs> yeah. Is there any like Hawaiian bend to it? I mean, with a name like Dakine, are they doing anything that's like on that kind of Hawaiian tip or is that just their, their culture? That's just what they're called. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. I've never heard of them. So uh, now we're going to move on to uh, maybe some foods you're not quite as excited about. You'd mentioned uh, how raw onions can cause both an issue for you when eating and also uh, maybe after eating as well. Oh, yeah, they're the they're the worst. I can't even cut them. It's um, I have a photo. So oh, even slicing my... an onion is, is a bit difficult for you, huh? Oh, it's 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 not even possible. I wear ski oh. goggles if yeah. I have to. 
Um, I'll wear ski goggles and put on gloves, but even then, like my like eyes start to swell shut. Like they're it just so you out. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. So I ask, I usually have a good old Josh there <laughs> slice That's the onions you, if I have to use yeah, them in call a recipe. In the, yeah, call in the support. That's great. But what's weird is green onions don't do it to me. Um, huh. garlic doesn't do it to me. So it's just it's and and any of the so white, red, yellow, any of those onions, I can't, I can't do raw. Um and any time that I I do happen to like slip up and let's say they're in a coleslaw or something, it's just sure. torture for the next about 48 hours. Oh, that's awful. Wow. Yeah. It's a bummer. And onions are in so many things that would get annoying. I would think sometimes you're like, take two bites and you're like, there's onions in here. Aren't there? <laughs> Damn well, it. And if they're, put onions if they're in cooked, here. I can do them. Okay. I can do them, okay. but they have to be legitimately like cook cooked. It can't be sure. like, there are onions on this pizza and they were in the oven for 10 minutes. Yeah. So a pain but you know you learn to work around it and just and just you know pick things out really carefully <laughs> totally and uh, i i love onions now but i remember as a kid I, I couldn't even get around them like it was too much um and i think it was kind of the aroma but i you know not not the sensitivities you're dealing with at all but i i'm glad i'm able to eat them now and i'm, I'm sorry you're not that's that's unfortunate <laughs> but as long as you can have cooked onions like even if what about like a grilled onion do you think that would be okay on something or, or would you maybe just choose not to eat it? I wouldn't, I would just choose not to. Cause I don't want to, yeah. Yeah. Just I don't want to gamble. Yeah. So another thing that I can absolutely agree with you on is balut. I can't imagine eating balut. Uh, it, there's so, so much to unpack when it comes to why that horrifies me, but even just like on the very basic level of sensory, just yeah. the textural change. I think it might be one of the foods I'm most scared of, or at least foods that people maybe eat regularly. I just, oh my God. Okay. And for, for listeners that don't know what balut is, uh, or if you're off to the Googles already, it's, <laughs> it's just a, a fertilized duck egg that's usually held for a couple of weeks um, before cooking. And so it's pretty well-developed embryo um, wings and, and even like feathers, mm -hmm. uh, a, a beak, a skull. Uh, no, no, <laughs> I've also been told that the main flavor is kind of a, a sulfury kind of flavor. Great. So, so yeah. So that sells why? me it. Right. That's what I'm saying. I feel like it might be the most objectionable food item I've ever heard of. It's it's, it's like, A, I don't want to eat a baby. I don't want to eat a baby bird. I don't want to eat feathers. Oh my gosh. Well, and so I have a I have a good friend who's from the the Philippines. Yeah. And I asked him about Balut, and he was just like, Nope, absolutely not. Not, okay. Nope. Not even a chance. So, so even, even there, there are people who draw the line. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't know. And maybe I was going to say it's my Western upbringing that makes it difficult for me, but if he's from there and he still doesn't want it, then more power to him. High five to that guy. Yeah. It's, ugh. I mean, even watching like someone like Andrew Zimmern try to eat balut and just going no way, man. Well, yeah, it, they all do the kind of dry heap thing. And then they're like, but you should try it at least have the experience. I'm like, no, no, I shouldn't. Nope. I think I got the experience watching you try you've tried to eat it. Yeah. That's enough like, for me. A plus. I'm 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 good with, you know, not just oh, oh, can't even. Oh, it makes me nauseous thinking about it. <laughs> so let's talk uh green chilies and tortillas. Do you make tortillas from scratch? Oh yeah. I there's there's no other way. It you do both I make corn and flour? I do flour. Um, I yeah. don't have a tortilla press. I am trying to find one that I like to make corn. Yeah. Um, but I, there is a really, really, uh, there are several actually really good tortillas in Denver to buy really nice corn tortillas. So yeah. I'll just um, patronize those businesses. But I'm a little picky about my flour tortillas because I prefer the Sonoran style, which is what you'll find like in San Diego. Um, the, you know, the big tortillas that they use for the yes. California style burritos and how they're yes. so thin and they're like chewy. Yes. yes. So yep. <laughs> tell me what you do differently. Is it the temperature of the water, the fat you use? Like what makes them like that? What makes them chewy? It is removing the baking powder. Ah, no baking, no powder. baking so powder, no, no fluff, no gordita. Exactly. So it is literally yeah. really, and I buy very, very high grade flour. 
Um, I now have a flour mill, so I'll probably start milling my own just to make it really fresh. Awesome. Um, That's exciting. (laughs) I mean, like I want to hear, I'm going to want to hear more about that in the future when you get to using that thing. Cause you, you know, you may get your hands on some kind of like heirloom variety or something mm. then you can really make some special ones. Well, and root shoot uh, malting up in, um, up in Loveland is yeah. experimenting with some pretty cool grains right now. And um, I'm friends with uh, Emily, who's one of the owners. And so I'm hoping oh, yeah. to maybe get some, which would be excellent oh, yeah. but she'll she'll hook you up she may want to tax you a taco or two but oh yeah oh 100 but <laughs> I, I mean it's funny because people don't realize how important fresh grain is to their flour so many people are just used to buying the bag off the shelf at the supermarket that's been sitting there for probably two years and it's yep. stale and and musty and so if you can find fresher flour um local mill locally milled flour is preferable but king arthur's isn't terrible they have a lot shorter shelf life because they actually have a lot more germ in the flour, which yep. is a obviously has fat and can cause it to go bad faster. Um, so I true. use King Arthur flour, um, really beautiful, high quality sea salt, um, because why not? And then um, lard and I get the good lard. I don't buy the like snow cap, the white stuff. Um, I get the lard from Epic Provisions. Oh yeah, um, I know that stuff. Yep. (laughs) So it's, it's the brown lard. It has a lot more flavor. And then it's really, I mean, it's as simple as just combining those three ingredients and then adding water. If you need a little bit of obviously the moisture to get it to come together, but mix it all together, knead it, set it aside to rest for, I usually set aside to rest while I make the uh, burrito innards and then, Mm -hmm. you know, roll it out and roll it out. So thin. that's probably the hardest part is rolling it out thin enough because a lot of people, they think that you actually press flour and corn tortillas. And there are some flour tortillas that you press, but for the really big ones, you actually do need to roll. And it works better mm-hmm. with a tortilla roller as opposed to a rolling pen, just the way that you roll with your hands. Um, but man, you got to be really careful with the thin ones too, that you don't have your skillet when you're cooking it too hot or it's getting it crispy in two seconds. Oh Yeah. So, so it's kind of a medium, medium, low heat, maybe to, to yep. force some heat inside. Yeah. Yep. And I usually, what I do is I'll very briefly cook, uh, the one side and then flip it over to the other, and then I'll put the ingredients on it and roll it up so that it's not entirely cooked through until the hot ingredients are in it. And it's going to cook the rest of the way. Um, especially if I'm bringing, cause I make breakfast burritos for camping. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm doing breakfast burritos for camping, I won't cook the outside at all they're wrapped in aluminum foil and we throw them in the fire in the coals in the morning to cook so that's going to cook the outside no problem i like that and that sounds so good too a campfire campfire coals cooked breakfast burrito made with a handmade tortilla whoever's camping with you is eating eating good it sounds like (laughs) it's that or french toast like you're in charge of breakfast if we ever go camping (laughs) that is absolutely the case hey i like to i mean the folks I go camping with, we don't like to eat just like hot dogs on, you know, on sticks. Well, when we're... And, and maybe that's part of the reason I've never been much of a camper is people just kind of half-ass that side of it. At least in my experience, it's like, I don't know, granola bars and hot dogs and mm-hmm. yeah, whatever, marshmallows, you know. And I, okay, I'm not really into that that much, but man, I, I do breakfast burritos warmed on the coals and French mm-hmm. toast, jalapeno French toast. And oh, I'm in. Oh. <laughs> our, our last big camping trip we took was we actually boated out to um, this little remote part of Blue Mesa Reservoir by Gunnison. Yeah. And it was um, myself, Josh, our friends, Scotty, Tutal, and my friend, Jordan. And we camped on the beach. And one thing that Blue Mesa has are huge crawfish. Um, oh, nice. And so we went out, we caught a bunch of crawfish. We cleaned them in the water, let them, you know, purge out. And yep. then we did a big crawfish boil on the beach. And oh my That's God, great. like one of one of the crawfish, the claw was as long as my middle finger. I mean, they're oh, huge. Oh, wow. That is giant. So that was great. I mean, like I said, we, we eat well. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you're kind of making food part of the central, like part of it instead of an afterthought, you know? Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. It, it, and it's fun. And it's fun to catch your own food. It's like foraging you know, it's, it's fun to be really close to it and know 
everything that went into it and you do it it does taste better you do appreciate it oh heck yeah yeah i i completely agree with that i think the more interaction you have and i that's why i love cooking for myself so much even um Mm -hmm. i love cooking for other people too but there's this thing where like if i'm the only one eating it i get to take this dish wherever i want Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i can get as weird as i want and experimental (laughs) as i want and it's it's only me that can be like you know that was that was a strange choice or whatever you know i I like the freedom of doing that sometimes too. So that's kind of where I do my, my weirdest dishes. There's stuff that I make and I'm like offering some to Heather and she's like, no, that's, that's uh, <laughs> that's going to be on all you one right there. I can tell. <laughs> Sorry. I'll pass on the blute today. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So tell me about your meatloaf. Cause I'm actually a meatloaf fan and I know it's probably not the most popular dish, but maybe some of us who grew up eating it still like it a lot. Or where did that come from for you? Is that something you grew up eating? Mm-hmm. It was something and I grew up eating. It was Is your version like the one you grew up eating or is it is it different? There's one similarity. <laughs> okay. They, they both have meat. Com- completely different. Um so actually for my meat, I usually use a mix of uh well, beef, pork, I usually grab some um sausage whether it's uh polidori or caninos or oh, boulder sausage. They're yeah. so good. And like yeah. just whatever really good um, you know, uh, raw sausage. There is, I, um, like I said, ground pork. Sometimes I'll put some bacon in there cooked bacon. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't believe in putting raw bacon in a recipe no. without pre-cooking it. Cause it just gets, it's just soggy weirdness. Me either. Yep. It is. Um, but the thing that I also do, because I am terrible about eating my veggies, I'm really bad at it. Even though once I start eating vegetables, I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're so good. Yeah. Um, but I'm just the worst. <laughs> and so I, take and uh, use my food processor and shred carrots and zucchini nice. and yellow nice. squash and uh, mushrooms. I do onions. I'll cook uh, sweat down mushrooms and onions together. And so really by the end of it, my meatloaf is almost half and half meat and vegetable. Nice. Mine is um, similar. Yeah. I find ugh. that it actually puts a lot of moisture in the middle of the meatloaf too. You don't so get up much moisture. Dry... Yeah. And it's perfect. It's like, you don't get a dry meatloaf. It's so good. I use, um, I use an egg for binder. I don't put any bread in it, um, which is a shocker to everybody um, usually. And then my thing that I do that my mom always did was I just mix ketchup and mustard and put it on right away. I don't wait to glaze it till the end. It's in there the whole time because it gets this beautiful crust. That's just, it, it is, it is one of those, the sum of the parts is so, it's like the, the whole is so much better than the sum of its parts, you know, like just, so oh my, my glaze, gosh. My glaze is tomato paste, um, Worcestershire and uh, brown sugar, but I should add some mustard to it. I like the idea of mustard. I haven't oh. put mustard in mine before. Adding but, that little bit of vinegar, that little bit of tang. Yeah, I and could, I've tried like right away. I was like, why am I not putting mustard in my glaze? That sounds good. I love. Oh mustard. my gosh. And I've, I've tried different mustards and stuff. I still, I tend to, I want to go to a smooth, spicy mustard. And then I use a, a local ketchup because um, I'm bougie. Um, uh, I did would make it be it elevation, t- elevation ketchup. Yep. That'd be the one. Yeah, Good stuff. So good. Um, there's a mustard. My favorite mustard in, in, in the universe comes from Belgium, from Ghent. Um, and I don't know Which if in that? your many trips to Belgium, you've had it. Um, I, oh, maybe I've had, oh. I always buy mustard when I'm over there. I come home with two or three jars of mustard every time. And I don't, I don't know which, let me see what brand I have right now. No, I guess I don't have any left right now. I just have jam right now, which is the wild years from Belgium, but I, I guess I'm out of the mustard. Would well, you know the brand of that? The one you're it's talking about? Tier, <laughs> this I'm going to butcher it. Uh, Tierentian Verlint. So it's, it's right on the main. Familiar. I think but, maybe I did get that, but I think I ordered it. I don't think I got it when I was there. Uh, I think you have to, no, they, you can't order it. It doesn't sell oh, online. Okay. You have to go there. And what's so okay. cool is they take it out of a vat and put it into whatever container you oh. decide to get it in. Nice. Okay. So they're actually like served to order kind of a thing. Yeah. I definitely didn't get that then. Nope. Haven't it's had that one. made there. It is so so spicy it is phenomenal i i dream of it it's so good i gotta send you some of my mustard i made a a mustard and it was so like nose hair 
tingly spicy yes. that I, I I've had to age it and it's come down a little bit, but it's still pretty freaking hot. And I really like it. It's got, it's almost like you'd think somebody put a horseradish in it or something. Yep. That's, that's how this, this mustard is. And it's yeah. just, well, it's a secret recipe. So, but of course. it's mustard and, and crafty Belgians salt and vinegar, you know, it's just like, but that mustard mustard seed is when it's handled, right. It is, whew, it yeah. is spicy. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And delicious. I love mustard so much. Oh my gosh. I made I it vinegar for... foods in general. The older I get, the more I just want everything with like extra vinegar. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, the acid component is so important. I mean, I like, it is. I remember when I was younger going like, why is a lime come with all this Mexican food? Now I'm like lime everything. Yes, exactly. Can I get an extra lime please? <laughs> exactly. And I mean, like I now, um, I mean, I love margaritas. I love, yep, me too. You know, that tart flavor that anything yeah, you mentioned micheladas. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, we were in Puerto Vallarta in um, 2022, early mm-hmm. 2022, and we were in Sayulita. So, Puerto Vallarta, and then we went up to Sayulita, and we were hanging out of a place called the Public House, um, three blocks off the beach on the main um plaza there just really really cute place and there's a bartender gustavo oh my lord (laughs) these micheladas were life i mean i just the way he made them and um i would i would ask for the mexican instead of gringo because gringo was made with tabasco and mexican was made with the victoria hot sauce Ah. um which makes all the difference and um the magi seasoning so MSG. Oh, yeah. that's key yes oh. yes msg and cocktails yes or in drinks so good oh and Love also it. speaking of msg i actually have yeah. a it looks like an urn on my countertop people are like what is all this white powder it's msg it's i have an urn of msg because of you <laughs> just write oh awesome just write cocaine on it just to throw them off yes <laughs> excellent <laughs> did you enjoy that uh, that meal i cooked well guess what it has cocaine <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, it, well, in the MSG, I mean, you're like, no joke makes such a huge difference. Oh, I love it. I, you know, I think uh, I had to get over kind of my upbringing of, you know, oh, we only eat at this Chinese restaurant because they don't use MSG and mm-hmm. like that kind of stuff growing up. And I didn't know, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know anything about it. And then kind of, as I got older and learned, you know, the science on it, it's like, well, then what's the issue? Like, I don't understand. And yeah, I get it. I know for some people it can cause a problem just like anything can. And so, you know, just like onions cause a problem for you, like, okay, then don't eat onions. That's fine. But that doesn't mean like the world can't eat onions, you know, just because it causes a problem for a few people. And I find that, I don't know, like I can use it kind of something we talked about earlier, even was eating vegetables or whatever. I use it in that way. I try to use it to, Mm. to trick myself into eating more (laughs) of better things. So I try to use its powers for good instead of like, you know, yeah, sure. I probably do put a little bit on my hamburger too. And I don't need to, but like, I'm really going to make sure that I'm reaching for that MSG when I'm making the green beans, when I'm making the carrots, you know, whatever it is, something that I know that I want to eat, try to eat more of, because then if it does get you so excited about each bite to maybe take a few more bites, then great. More power to you. Everybody wins. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, and, um, you know, the, the whole anti MSG thing actually has its origins in, in racism, racism. which is yep. horrible. Um, <laughs> yep. and just, we gotta get away from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like villainizing food because a certain group eats it is, is bizarre yep. is beyond right. bizarre. I mean, you, you, well, we see it everywhere in the United States, the, the stereotypes that come out and you're just like, why, why is this necessary? Yeah, <laughs> and you- even you know, even with like fr- uh, the French fry thing, when they were uh, mad at the oh. French for not for not backing them in the in the war, freedom and fries started calling them freedom fries. That kind of stuff is like, come on, guys, they're not even French to begin with. Yeah, I was like, when they're actually pump free, <laughs> we're so confused. Yeah, so confused. We're just going to try to throw this anger in some direction and hope it sticks. Uh, it's so, and there's <laughs> and such what, Russian like... vodka now. You can't drink Russian vodka anymore, you know, because because Putin, right? Well, I can't drink it anyway because it's really harsh, but you know, well, yeah, that's a different really issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, there's so many beautiful flavors to be discovered if you're willing to go outside your box. And I mean, I didn't. Okay. So this is one of my favorite, like, wow, I was real drunk stories. 
Um, sure. I studied abroad in <laughs> I studied abroad in London in 2002. Yeah, and my whole life, anytime I would see um, like a Donner, so like a kebab or a mm-hmm. um, you know for pastor or any of that, it freaked me out. I didn't understand why there was this big thing oh, of rotating trompo. meat. Yeah. Um, and so moved to, moved to London. It's everywhere. Kebabs are, are a big thing there. And I got just, I, I had been there for about a month and I was very well known for being terrified of the kebabs. Oh. So my friends, when they'd get drunk, they'd go out and they'd get kebabs. They'd bring me a burger. <laughs> um, and one night I'm just laying on the kitchen floor of, of the flat, just absolutely annihilated. Cause I, and at the time I wasn't drinking beer. Um, because beer was too bitter. <laughs> oh, wow. And, That's oh, so interesting to hear from you. Yeah. So many things. Um, so I would drink extra strong strong bow that was t- it was a uh, a pound for oh, yeah. a two they drink liter the ciders. bottle. Oh yeah. That's oh. what my brother drank when he was over there with ciders. Yeah. Oh, the hangovers. Um, but uh I'm laying on the floor of our kitchen and our my buddy Ripon, who actually lived in the flat across the way, he's there. I'm like, rip on, rip on, rip on, come here. He's like, oh, <laughs> what can I get for you? And I can't even, he had a beautiful Welsh accent. I, I'm not even going to try. Um, and I'm like, Ribbon, I need a kebab. Give me a kebab. And he's like, you don't like kebabs. You're afraid of them. And I'm like, kebab, kebab. And uh, so he went down to the, to the kebab shop and got me a kebab and a burger just in case. Nice. And man, I, I hasselhoffed that kebab so hard (laughs) and it was just so good. And it really woke me up to like all these flavors that I had no experience with prior. Um, and, and definitely that was not my, not my last kebab while I was there. And, um, you know, did, I went to DU, so Jerusalem, which is a fantastic Middle Eastern restaurant is right there. And, you know, I'd eat there five days a week, just try new things. And I still, every time I'm down near DU, I, I always have to stop by, by J Ruse. And it just, you know, yeah. I think it's one of those things that travel opens your eyes to so many different things, but being willing to open your palate also opens your mind. Yeah. You, you were able to step outside your comfort zone while traveling. And now you've got this whole new door that's unlocked that you're able to, mm-hmm. to go and enjoy this whole new cuisine that you can connect with. So good. And I, I love that too, because I feel like it's, it's a stronger connection to the culture. So you went there and you drank ciders and you ate kebabs. I mean, like you did it right. You know, I mean, maybe <laughs> you didn't do it. Maybe the first week you were there, first couple of weeks you were there, you didn't do it right, but eventually you got it right. And now you've got not only the connection of being there, meeting the people, being in the place, seeing the buildings, all that kind of stuff that every tourist gets, but you've got that secondary level of connection with their, their food culture. You ate what they ate. And I, I think that's important. Oh my gosh. And I, I, we didn't eat, I never ate at chain places. I, Smart. you know, there was this beautiful pasty shop off of, um, in, uh, Camden market. That was incredible. There was the best Italian restaurant in the wharf. I mean, like it was so much fun to explore the London food scene. Cause so many people think of British food and they go, Oh, land, nothing. And I'm like, it's a, it's, there's so many people yeah, from so many places. Yeah. It's not just British food. That's the thing. And yeah, if you went there and maybe ate like eel pie or something, you'd be like, this is weird. <laughs> but, but I mean, you even were then, eating like, jelly deals, mushy peas and scones oh, and i love mushy peas i'm oh. such a fan and you know fish and chips obviously well and pasties pasties were the thing that just i could not get enough of and then when i come back to the states and i cannot figure out for the life of me and this goes back to what you're saying about experimenting in the kitchen yeah there was a flavor in that pasty that i could not figure it out and so what i did is i went to the grocery store and i bought like four different kinds of meats and then every single root vegetable i could find and I created like 12 pasties to try to figure out what, what it was. And it turned out to be awesome. turnips. Nice. So the secret to a, a true Welsh pasty is, is a turnip. And, and I just, I like it was it. again, a vegetable I would never, ever have thought to pick up, never try. And it is absolutely, I use it. It's one of the things I put in my meatloaf because it has such a distinct flavor to it. Something that I thought was a really interesting touch in a pasty, and I guess it's a, even a historic thing, was uh, the entire pasty was savory. It was a, just a regular old hand meat pie, but in the very bottom corner of it, they had put a little lump of jam. 
Mm-hmm. So that was like your that was like your dessert, like your cookie at the end was the eating that corner of crust with jam in it. I, I think that's that was so, so brilliant. Amazing. Yeah, it is. It's I wish there was more of that. Like I have this kind of sandwich concept that I'd like to do someday. And and that little thing right there meant so much to me that I'm like, how do I make that part of my concept? How do I have, you know, that little tag of dessert in there? So anyway. We'll have to talk about that more in the future when I figure it out a little more. But I just, <laughs> I was so inspired out. by that. Yeah. When somebody says pasties, that's, that's the thing about pasties to me that was so impressive was like, they found a way to put your, your meal, you know, that first bite of crust is your appetizer, your meals in the middle and your desserts at the end. And I was just like, that's so cool. Love that. So thoughtful. so wonderful. So I want to talk and kind of finish things out with you talking burgers. Uh, you mentioned mm. a, a burger place that I think a lot of listeners are not going to be familiar with. Um, and they're going to want to be after they hear about it. Cause I've been there and I loved it. Can you tell us about crown burger? Yes. Oh my gosh. It is the best. So crown burger is it's a whole new level of burger experience. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and just back you up on that. So please, please tell us. It is. It is wonderful. It is a little fast food joint on Colorado Boulevard, just South of I-25 in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been around. As long as I have, so since 1982, <laughs> and um, they're known for their pastrami burger. Um, so it's it's a burger with cheese and shreddis and all that, and then it has uh, pastrami on top. A um, softball I, of pastrami on top. They they put a lot. Yeah, it's, I, yeah. It's like it's its own pastrami sandwich is on it top is. of this burger. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Remove the burger patty. You still got a pastrami sandwich. It's incredible. I don't love pastrami. Um, I actually don't like corned beef either. There's something about the the curing boiling process that just yeah. it's really intense for me, and I just it's not my favorite. So when I go to Crown Burger, I get a bacon cheeseburger. So let me talk about the bacon. Yeah. Because bacon, not all bacon is created equal. Completely agree. And not all bacon on a burger is created equal. And, you know, I love thick cut. I love all, I, I love all the different kinds of, of bacon. But one of the problems with a lot of bacon on burgers is that when you take a bite, you're going to pull the whole slice of bacon out because mm-hmm. it doesn't the come apart. Yep. <laughs> you know, it's, and Crown Burger puts so much bacon <laughs> on their bacon cheeseburger, but it's been, it's been properly fried. It's mm-hmm. the fat is rendered out. It's not at all burned or it's, you know, it's got the beautiful rendered fat parts. It's got the nice crispy meat parts. It's so wonderful. And there's so much of it, but when you take a bite of that burger and you bite through the bacon, you get all of that texture, all of that flavor, and you come away with just a bite. Yeah. That's the challenge. That's the challenge in putting bacon on a burger for sure is a clean bite of bacon. Good luck. It's all about the rendering and, and adding that texture. And because of the way that they cook their, their bacon, there's so many different layers of it and it's all over that you get just a ton of texture, which is so important as well. The, The cheat I see places do is they'll cut it up into bacon bits and they'll cover your burger in bacon bits, but you're right. It misses out on that texture because you're not going to have that same kind of bite through multi-layered bacon crunch that you're going to have, you know, when you stack actual pieces of bacon. The key is thin, thin slicing the bacon and deep frying it. Uh Uh-huh. The deep Deep fry is everything. Yeah. Um, And the nice thing too, is like they, they let their bacon drain. So it doesn't add too much oil to the burger, the burger patty. So thin, so nice. It's not, it's not a smash patty, but it's, it's pretty, pretty darn close. Yeah. Um, old school. Yeah. Old school style. You know, I, I get it. I don't get onions or, or tomatoes on it, but I get it with the, the lettuce. I always add pickles. Their um, house like burger sauce is awesome. And then of course, good old American cheese. Don't mess with the American cheese. It's, it's just the best. It's funny to me that people still want to argue that, <laughs> but no. for me, there's just no, there's no better choice. I think what I'm willing to do these days is if do a second cheese, like I want my American melty, but I'll throw in like a second cheese just for like that extra cheddary flavor or, you know, a slice of Swiss just for something, another texture, but I need the melter. I need, I need the American cheese on there somewhere. And sometimes they can even work together. You end up getting like, 
you know, the flavor and the meltiness all kind of like molding into one thing, especially with cheddar. It seems to work out pretty well. But I yeah, love doing... I, I can't disagree. It's got to be American. I love doing American and Munster. I think it's just such a good there you combo. Go. Yeah. Yeah, that would absolutely work. Melty and flavorful. Oh, and the yeah. other thing, the other thing that is huge about Crown Burgers burgers yeah. is they are sesame seed buns. They are nice. not brioche. They are not going to fall apart if you breathe on them wrong. They are going to absorb that the fat that's on that burger, any of the moisture, and it's going to hold together the entire burger, which is huge. <laughs> well, it, it's always interesting to me. You go to these places that have been open for a long time, and it's like they they know that they've got it figured out, and they don't need to change with the winds. I mean, you know, of course, everybody's trying to incorporate, you know, fancier buns and brioche and all that kind of stuff. But those old school places are like, no, no, we had it right in the 80s. We're, we're, we're good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like that. And again, it comes back to trust the chef. Yes. Like trust them. They make, oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent omakase at places like that too. Cause it's like, look, you know, I want a burger, but like, it's all up to you. Like do it, do your thing. Absolutely. And yeah. Yeah. They're, um, they also have a ham and cheese, a grilled ham and cheese. And the ham is that super thick slice. Ham and I think it is you told me about so this. Good. I don't think I've ever had this there, but I think we talked years ago about this and you were like, yeah, if you go back, because I went and got the burger and posted mm-hmm. about it or whatever. And you're like, if you go back, you're going to want to get the ham and cheese sandwich. And I was like, really? Because oh, I did yeah, see I, it on the menu, but I didn't even think to order it until you said something. I skipped the fries and that's my side. <laughs> nice. Good call. Oh, it's so oh, I don't remember the fries being too memorable. I do think I got either got fries or onion rings, but either way, it was kind of like, eh. Eh, that's not really the feature here. The onion rings are better than the fries. Um, Neither are terrible, but yeah, it's definitely their sandwiches are are the shining star of that place. So on the burger tip, I did want to know about brand burgers as well. (laughs) This is more of a homemade thing. This is not a location that anyone can go to in Denver. And, And I'll tell you, it reminds me of something I used to have in San Diego. There was a restaurant called Bull Weevil. And they would do, they would call it a steer burger because it was some sort of, I don't know if it was bulgur wheat mixed in or what exactly it was, or even just breadcrumbs or something, but it was closer to like a, I don't know, kind of like a meatloaf patty sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Is that how, is that how you remember these brand burgers being? Yeah. Um, they're a mix of, of bulgur and, and ground beef. And it's, and, and really it comes from trying to make the meat last, go as far as it could. My, oh, my I'm familiar. Yeah. We oh, weren't, yeah. we weren't rich either. Yeah. And, and, well, and, and my mom, she, she's, uh, has three siblings. They yeah. grew up in rural Missouri. My, my grandfather was the chief of police of Rolla, Missouri. Oh, wow. Her mom was a stay at home mom. And so they made, they made things last as, as far as they could. And, um, so yeah, so we, uh, bulgur wheat with, with ground beef and then white bread. And then on the white bread was smeared mustard. And then you smash this burger patty into the bread. So it's like one thing. And then you bake them. Wow. See, I and like we, that idea because I'm imagining how all the, the fat would render into the bread. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not, they're not bad. They're like, we, we make them when we have family reunions. Of course, there's a day that brand burgers have to be made. That's um, cool. See, I like that. It's so. a traditional food like that. And it's, it's something like a family created traditional food too. That's really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so much fun and it's, and, and they're called brand burgers because my, um, my grandfather and grandmother, they're Bramlet. So, um, ah. was my mom's maiden name. And so Bram burgers, um, were born. So, um, as we, as we say about the, the folks who are still Bramlets are <laughs> the Bram fam and then their Bram burgers and, yeah, they're so good. They're just they're they're so simple and and schlocky, but good. You know, they're just when you think about growing up in you know the fifties and sixties when there wasn't a lot of money to go around, and to have this warm, comforting, flavorful dish that's really easy to make, and I mean, it would take grandma no time to slap it together and get in the oven. Yep. And that's really not that far off from like the original hamburger, which was just basically a meatball mm-hmm. and a slice of white bread. I mean, that was it. That was yep. the, the Louis Louis lunch burger is, is just that. So you guys really are. I mean, sure, there's the you're stretching it out so more people get a burger. But other than that, <laughs> that's that's an old school burger as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. 
Well, Dev, I've had so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me. And and as I kind of told you before we got started, I'm, I feel like I'm going to need to talk to you a few times to even put a dent in, <laughs> uh, in, in, in your relationship with food and beverage. So uh, I just wanted to give you a chance here at the end to uh, kind of plug anything that you've got going on or where people can find you to follow up with what you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can be found on pretty much any of the social medias as Miss Lupulin, L-U-P-U-L-I-N. I am an advanced Cicerone and I actually uh, do staff training. I do curated beer lists. I also do food and beer pairings, food and beer dinners, um, which I find really fun. I love working with chefs and brewers to, to enhance both of their products and make a really fun, fantastic evening uh, for people who are coming. And yeah, so uh, if anyone is looking to have some fun, reach out to me and we can we can get something on the books. Absolutely. I'm going to throw an endorsement in here. Dev knows her stuff. Um, something, you know, and this kind of touches on the attention to detail we talked about earlier, too, is that uh, you don't like scented soaps in brewery mm-hmm. bathrooms. I yep. love that. I love that that matters to you because I thought I was the only one that mattered to until you said something. And I was like, there you go. That's I'm so glad that someone else noticed that. And again, it's uh, you've got that attention to detail that I like. You just want the best experience. You know, it's it's anytime you go out, anytime you spend time anywhere, it's really those details that you carry with you, even if you don't realize it at the time. I completely agree. Well, thank you, Dev. I'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. I really appreciate you. Take care. Thank you, Airman. <laughs>